This is Cruise Radio. Now more than ever, you should consider trip insurance for any kind of trip you take, not just cruises. Get a free quote at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here. A special weekend edition because, well, I'll be honest with you. So Richard and I recorded this over in Venice when I was there, well, I guess what, two days ago? I just got back this morning. And the bit rate was so bad when we recorded it, I just couldn't air it. So we're doing it here, fresh from the studio. A little tired, but fresh from the studio regardless. On this episode, we have Richard with Cruise News. And actually, that's all we have because I didn't have the bandwidth to edit an interview. So just don't tell my boss, please. Staff writer Richard Sims joins us on the line. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. Royal Caribbean is changing up housekeeping. We say all the time that where one cruise line goes, others are going to follow. So once Carnival and Norwegian cut back on the housekeeping services they offer, it seemed pretty inevitable that Royal would too. And sure enough, guess what? That's what's happened. This has actually been coming for a while. Listeners may remember that way back in December, we told you about Quantum of the Seas and how guests on that ship were told that service was being cut back from twice a day to once a day. And again, this is exactly what has happened on the other cruise lines. And now, you know, they say hindsight is the most accurate of sciences. And so we can now look at that from back in December and see that it was basically a test. And apparently it was a successful test because the policy is now being rolled out across all of Royal Caribbean's ships. Now, guests in junior suites and above, they're going to continue to have their room service twice a day, of course. What's kind of safe to say is that just because they are cutting back on the service the rest of us are getting doesn't mean that we're going to be getting, you know, a discount on those daily gratuities or that they will be rolling back the prices. In fact, I'm going to be interested the next time any of these cruise lines you know, make the announcement that they are upping the daily gratuity charge, you know that people out there are going to be like, wait, you're raising them again because you just cut service. You literally cut the service we're getting in our room by half. So how can you justify saying that you need more money for the daily gratuities? Now, of course, you and I and, you know, Honestly, most people know that those daily gratuities go to far more than just the person who is servicing your room. They are, you know, they go to a lot of the behind the scenes people. But the nickel and dime crew who are always looking for a way to get out of paying them will certainly bring this up as an argument when they decide to remove their gratuities and stand in that long line down at guest services. But I guess some could also say and argue that the average cruiser is basically taking the fall for the sweet guests. Totally. I mean, you know, it's it's like we always hear in the world, you know, the rich get richer and the poor get shafted. And here we go again. It, it's been over the last like 10 years or so, there's been this sort of caste system set up on cruise lines where you have, you know, whether it's the Haven or the Retreat or the Yacht Club, you have these ultra luxury divisions within the ship and they have certain things that the rest of us don't. But again, that's, you know, it's easy to look at that and sort of judge it, but it's also true anywhere in the world. You know, if you go to your local hotel and you pay for the cheapest room, you're going to get the cheapest room. If you pay for the most expensive room, you're going to get the most expensive room with more shampoo, more shampoo and things like that. So it's true pretty much everywhere, but it's, it's definitely something that's been developing on cruise lines for the last decade or so. 
a death on a Carnival cruise ship made headlines over the past few days. It did. It made a lot of different kinds of headlines as well. So the fact of the matter is that a woman was found unresponsive in her stateroom on the Carnival Sunshine. The ship had set sail for the Bahamas out of Charleston, and when it returned, the FBI took over the investigation. I guess I should—I sort of skipped over the middle part, which is where the body was found uh, of this woman. She was unresponsive. The crew tried to uh, resuscitate her. They were unsuccessful. Now, um, a big deal was made in some places about the fact that the FBI got involved in this and that there it was a you know it was classified as a mysterious death and that kind of thing. This is very common, not just at sea, but pretty much anywhere. If a body is found um, under circumstances where there was nobody else around, then there was an investigation triggered, whether it's the local police or the FBI. In this case, it's the FBI because of you know international jurisdictions and federal uh, international waters and all that. Um, Carnival actually released a statement which says, while we continue to cooperate with authorities, all indications pertaining to the death of a guest on Carnival Sunshine suggest that it was a natural death due to a medical condition. We will defer to the FBI on any specific details which may possibly be released at a later date, as we fully respect the investigative process, but our initial emergency medical response was appropriate, and it appears that this was indeed a medical situation that sadly resulted in the death of a guest. Now, they don't get into exactly what that medical situation might have been, but, you know, that's not uncommon. We don't like to think about it, and it's not something that you'll see when you take, you know, a backstage tour on a cruise ship. But every ship has a morgue because people do die at sea. It, it, I read somewhere that it used to happen a lot more than it does now because the average age of cruisers used to be a lot higher. And, of course, you know, you get up there, you start having more medical issues, and there's a chance that something will go wrong and you will pass away at sea. Usually it's not that big a deal in this case, because usually, you know, it's not somebody who's traveling alone. In this case, it sounds as if the person either was traveling alone or they were alone at the time that they passed, which is what triggered sort of the um, suspicious death kind of thing. But ultimately, I think this is one of those situations, and we see it a lot, especially with cruising, where the headlines make something um, into a story that it's really not. In this case, of course, obviously someone passing away at sea is is always sad, uh, but it's not the story that is being sold in some markets. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll be honest, I kind of, you know, I kind of would not mind if I end up dying at sea. I, I would like to be in my happy place when I go. Yep. But we'll, once once the results come out and we know exactly what happened in this case, I'm sure they'll release the information and we will certainly pass it on. So pretty soon when we're sailing into Nassau, Bahamas, you have that beautiful white lighthouse right there on Paradise Island. Well, that landscape's all about to change. It is, and I'm not really sure how I feel about this. To be honest, that was one of the first sailings that I ever did was, you know, on one of my first trips, I think it was my first cruise, uh, we went to the Bahamas and, you know, you sail in and you see that that lighthouse and that gorgeous strip of of, of sand and everything leading up to the, uh, the, the, the port. It's beautiful and I love it. I always get excited about that, both sailing in and sailing out. Well, now it turns out that a part of that is where Royal Caribbean's 
brand new Royal Beach Club is going to be located. It's at the western end of Paradise Island in Nassau. The the, the company got final approval from the local authorities and is moving forward. They're hoping to have the experience open sometime in 2025, which puts it on a you know a fairly fast track, given that some of these projects can take years even after approval. One kind of cool aspect of this is that the beach club is going to be made up of 13 acres of land that are owned by the cruise line and four acres of what's called crown land or like, you know, a land that's owned by the Bahamas and by, by Nassau. The crown land will be contributed as equity in the new venture so that it basically means the government and the Bahamian people will be getting a part of the profits automatically. It's sort of a first-of-its-kind agreement in the Bahamas, and it's really interesting to see because, you know, the cruise lines rely so heavily on the Caribbean, the Bahamas, the various ports that they visit. And whenever there's, we hear all the time, whenever there's a natural disaster, you know, the cruise lines are there. They, they deliver, um, they, 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 they park their boats there so that people can, can stay on board during the recovery process. They donate lots of money, they send food, whatever. But this is an, an interesting ongoing situation where, you know, the, the island and the residents of the island will continue to benefit from this particular um, beach club, which is the first of their kind. Now, this is not to be confused with Perfect Day at Coco Cay. That's completely separate. This is something sort of a little bit different, a little bit new. Obviously, these kind of private islands are very, very popular, not only with the guests, but with cruise lines. Because, well, think of it this way. If the cruise line dumps you off in Italy, you get off the ship, you go wander around, you spend your money, you are giving your money to you know the Italian government and the Italian businesses you visit. When you get off the ship and go to a private island, you are giving your money to the cruise line because the cruise lines own these private islands, which makes this kind of an interesting case because while you will be giving your money to the cruise line on the private island, you will also be contributing to the local economy because they actually own a portion of this private island. So it's a it's a really nice setup. And this is not the only private island we're talking about these days because um, Disney has actually released new information about their island that, that's coming up. This will be, you know, this is similar to Castaway K and or Key. I never really know which way you're supposed to pronounce that. Their new one, Lighthouse Point, is going to open, I believe, later this year, and it'll feature kind of a big family beach. Um, there's going to be a cultural pavilion, a water play area for family. There's an adults-only beach, which you know, not to be confused with like a topless beach, just meaning you know, sort of like Serenity on Carnival ships is adults only. There's going to be kids clubs and family cabanas you can rent and it just it'll be everything that disney does so well on a new island so there's there's two that are opening up now between the royal beach club and disney's lighthouse point that's a lot of places for us to go and explore in the coming months now back to the royal caribbean one this is going to be the like the ships are still going to dock in Nassau, like at the port there, and then what, get tendered or driven over across the, the way to Paradise Island. So there's not going to be a, a dock outfitted for the ships, correct? Right. That's how I understand it as well, which makes sense because if you think about it, you know, where would they? The, mm-hmm. if, you, if you think that that you're not comfortable with the idea of that end of the island 
having a beach on it, imagine how it would be if there was a dock there. And so as you were sailing in, you couldn't even see the beach. All you could see was, you know, uh, whatever cruise ship happens to be docked there. Right. So, yeah, the, I guess they'll use the same, you know, um, berths that they use now and then transport people over. And if you've been to Nassau, which, you know, we pretty much all have, you know, it's really not that far from because you've seen the sailing. It's not that far from from the piers and the dock to the lighthouse. Port congestion has impacted an NCL itinerary, and we also now know where Norwegian Sky is going. So Norwegian Sky is kind of, we talked about that a lot last year because there was this big gap in their schedule. It was like, you know, there were three trips here you could book. And then, you know, in May, there were a few trips you could book, but then there was nothing until September. And it was like, well, wait, what's this big gap in the middle? And Apparently, they didn't really know at the time where it was going to be, but now they know it is going to Japan. That is one of the great things about cruise ships, and it's something you hear them talk about a lot in their earnings calls, is that they have the flexibility of just on a dime changing where a ship is sailing to, where it's sailing out of. For a while, you know, there were some questions about how the Japan market was going to play out, whether people were going to want to move their ships back in there, would there be enough demand. Clearly, we're seeing enough demand because that is where the ship is going. Uh, As far as the itinerary changes, so we all know that itinerary changes happen for a lot of reasons. Sometimes they happen on really short notice, but What was unusual about the itinerary change we're talking about right now is that Norwegian Joy passengers who were going to sail, they were sailing on March 11th. Just a few days before that, they received notice that Roatan was being dropped because of, quote, port congestion, unquote. That's what they said. And you know me, I'm a skeptic. I'm always like, you know, I want to know the real story. I don't want to just hear what you're telling me. And by you, I mean, you know, whatever cruise line it happens to be. And in this case, it just didn't make sense because we can easily look and see what ships are going to be in what ports on what day. And there was only one ship slated to be in that port of Roatan the same day as Joy. So they can take more than one ship, you know, that, so that's why it seems a little suspicious when you combine this with the fact that Norwegian has been shortening the times in a lot of ports, you know, so maybe you used to go from say 7am until 9pm or, or 6pm or whatever. Now, a lot of these ports, you know, I, I was on a trip last year on Norwegian where we arrived at St. Thomas at 11 o'clock in the morning and we had to be back on the ship at three. You know, that's, that's not a port call to me. That's like a call to whatever you can run to within, you know, that's right off of the ship. It, it sort of, they, they, they say that the reason they're doing this is because then they can, if they, they can go slower from one port to the next, which, you know, is great for fuel consumption and good for the environment and all that. But a lot of people, a lot of skeptics, and, you know, I'm one of those, sort of look at it and say, really, are you sure it's not just so that you can keep us on the ship longer? Because obviously, the longer we're on the ship, the more we're spending money in the casino or at specialty restaurants or or however, you know, because the cruise lines make a very big deal about how much money they make on onboard spend, on how much they get out of our wallet after we are on board, aside from what we've already paid for the cruise. So it all just feels, I don't know, I don't want to say it feels sketchy, but it just kind of feels sketchy. Well, it is sketchy if you're leaning on a green initiative and you're really trying to save money on fuel. Right. And 
You know, it's not just Norwegian. Um, a lot of the cruise lines have been doing this kind of thing. Uh, and and it's gotten to the point where it sort of makes you suspicious of everything. You know, uh, a week or two ago, we reported on the fact that Carnival was bringing the fun times back, and which is great. I'm so happy about that. When Carnival first cut the fun times, they, you know, John Heald comes out and it's always as the brand ambassador, it's his job of breaking good news and bad. And when he came out and told people that that they were cutting the, the fun times and that the reason they were doing it was not cost cutting. It was, you know, because they wanted to save on paper and they wanted to be it was a big conserve conservation movement. People didn't believe it. You know, people were like, yeah, no, you're just doing it to save money. It, and it can be both, you know, it can be that that you are both saving money at a time when you really need to save money. And it happens to be good for the environment because we're not wasting so much paper. Ultimately, in that case, Carnival heard enough of an uproar that they were like, yeah, you know what? We're going to bring the fun times back. So whichever reason it was doesn't really matter. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Norwegian in the coming weeks as people sort of react to these whether it's itinerary changes or shortened times in port. All right. And final story here. Holland America has some new voyages they're calling legendary. Are they reinventing the wheel here? No, not really. Um, You know, this isn't something that every cruise line hasn't done. And sometimes, you know, when you do something like this, you want to make a big deal out of it. So you put out a press release and you give it a cool name like legendary. Uh, Really, it, it's different for them, and that, I guess, is what matters. So what happens in situations like this is the cruise lines are always doing surveys. They're, you know, asking people what they want, what they don't want, what they like, what they don't like, including when it comes to everything from ports that you're going to visit to the length of cruises. And according to Holland America, they did, they surveyed their guests and found that a lot of them wanted longer cruises that go to more interesting points, but leave out of North American ports. You know, they don't want to have to fly to Italy to go somewhere interesting. Uh, And so they have basically created what they're calling the legendary voyages, and they'll run between 25 and 59 days. And they'll go to interesting ports like, you know, they'll have extended overnight stays in places like Moriah in the French Polynesia, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing wrong, and Tokyo, Japan, and Hobart, Tasmania, places like that. But like I said, what they really are focused on here is the fact that you will be able to sail from North American ports to these. And the reason they're so much longer, obviously, is it takes time to get there. So instead of flying to wherever you would fly to go to, you know, Hobart, Tasmania, you will now be able to leave from an American port and spend, you know, 30, 40 days on a ship going to these kind of more exotic locations, which But, you know, you're right. It's not inventing the wheel. I mean, Carnival has their, um, what do they call their longer voyages? Is it Carnival Uh, Journeys? What is it? Is it Carnival Journeys? Yes, the Carnival Journeys. That's it. I knew it was something like that. You know, every cruise line has a variety of them. Sometimes they don't name them. These are becoming incredibly popular because think about it. How many times do we now hear? It used to be once once or twice a year you'd hear that a cruise line was doing a 125-day cruise. Now... It's very common, and they sell out immediately, which means there's definitely an audience for this. Whether it is people who are now working from ships, you know, because COVID taught us all we could work from home, so if I can work from home, why not work on a ship? Or whether it's older people with disposable income who are like, you know what, I want to get away from my family for six months. Let's go on a cruise to, you know, Peru. I don't know. So there's there's a lot more of this happening now, and certainly Holland America 
tends to skew a little bit older, a little more. Uh, they have more disposable income, so it makes sense that these people would be available to do these lengthier cruises. And while we're on the topic of interesting places, which is a little bit of an awkward segue, but we're going to go with it, you were just somewhere very interesting, doing something very interesting. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I got a chance to go over to Venice, Italy, to Fincantieri Shipyard, and check out the probably halfway built, she was just floated out earlier this week, Sun Princess, which was a really cool experience to see a ship broken down to nothing but the steel, because... You wouldn't even realize it was a cruise ship if you walked in there because there was welders everywhere, pipe fitters. Nothing has been outfitted yet. It just came from the dry dock. So they just put the engine in and welded the hull together. And it's basically a bunch of like scaffolding in there. So it was a cool experience. And I, this is a big departure for Princess and what they've had in their past dozen or so ships. So I'm excited to see this one come out. And we learned a little bit about it as well, which we have an article posted on cruiseradio.net if you'd like to see that. Well, and I think that we're also, if I'm not mistaken, you and I are going to have a little chat about that and post it over on Patreon for people who are interested in it, right? We are. And I also, speaking of Patreon, thank you for reminding me. I, I did a big photo dump of the shipyard tour as well. There's about 50 photos from kind of behind the scenes walking through the ship. It's wild, man. Yeah. Patreon.com slash cruise radio if you want to check out those photos. I can't wait to talk to you about it. Do you have a story or a tip to report? Let us know. Email tips at cruiseradio.net. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. All right, Dougie, let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast, or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.